Welcome to the New Front Door podcast, with practical advice and fundamental principles to help churches and Christian ministries communicate, promote, plan, and support loving community and gospel proclamation. For more information, visit newfrontdoor.org. Hi, this is Mikey Lynch here from New Front Door, and in this episode, I'm talking about um, creating groups, uh, users rather, users um, within um, and groups, I guess, within. Um, Office 365, but the same would apply to various other things like Google products and so on. How do you think about uh, setting people up and setting groups up? Um, what are the best practices related to that? Um, best practices is an interesting little expression, isn't it? And the idea of that is that um, there's actually a whole lot of ways of making things work. You know, you can make private email addresses and uh, Google Suite or Office 365 addresses or um, uh, a whole bunch of systems can be made to work kind of all right. But the question is, what's the best way? Because sometimes a workable solution is inefficient, you know, and creates more work. Sometimes um, a workable solution might be more efficient, and so actually it's appealing because it's easier, but it has some unhelpful consequences later on. And so that's what we're kind of wrestling with today. So um, a first really important thing to kind of get clear on, and I'm going to be speaking within Office 365, and you might have to do a little bit of application to what degree that relates to the systems you might use. Um, as you're sort of creating mailing lists um, and individuals, it's helpful, first of all, to realise the difference between contacts and users within a system. Contacts and users. So a contact um, is someone who's, if you like, can be reached uh, reached through your system. So they're, they're on a mailing list, you know, the church announcements list or the eldership list. And so they receive things from your email list system. So they're a contact, um, but they can't do anything inside the system themselves. So that's important in Office 365. One of the simple ways to tell the difference is a, a user actually has an Office 365 email address. So they get added into that Office 365 system as Mikey at newfrontdoor.org. And so I actually exist as a, an authorised, active, logged-in user within Office 365. Whereas a contact, um, they have an email address separately that then just gets added in, added into a group or something like that. So that's the simple way to tell the difference. Um, and then out of that means that a user can do a whole bunch of things that a contact can't. So a user can create groups themselves and add people to groups and remove people from groups and, um, and do a whole lot of stuff in like the OneDrive, SharePoint, document stuff, all these kinds of things. That's what a user can do. If you're not a user, then you can't do that. Um, and so that's a really important fundamental distinction. Um, and related to that, this is a common rookie error. Um, you've got to realise that um, what they call, there are different instances of Office 365. Um, uh, a bit like with Elvanto, right? Actually, the other day I was talking to somebody who was trying to get something to work with Elvanto. It can't work, it won't work, it won't work. Um, and then I realised they were logging into like their church's Elvanto, instead of another ministry's Elvanto, you know? And so it's not as if you just log into this ginormous thing called Elvanto and then you can go and do whatever you need with whatever ministry or church or whatever. In the same way with Office 365 or Google or whatever else, it's not like you log in with one login um, and then you can go and, you know, so so when you're logging into your ministry's Office 365, you log in with that ministry's user, Mikey at New Front Door, which is different to Mikey at AFES. Do you see what I mean? So you've got to be thinking, which way am I logging in? Um, 
at least with Chrome, actually, on MacBook, um, that login stuff gets tricky because of kind of stuff related to cookies and things. So you often need to open an incognito browser to be able to log in a separate time with a separate account. Sometimes that's an issue to be conscious of. Um, so that's the first distinction, the users versus contacts. Um, so you add someone as a contact if all they're needing to do is just receive information from, a, you know, be part of a mailing list, be a member of the church announcements, be a member of the eldership team where all the elders need to do is get emails from the group. They can email to the group. They can receive email from the group. That's all they need to do. Um, uh, you create a user if the person needs a custom email address, needs to be able to add and remove people from groups themselves, um, and needs to have more ongoing involvement in the shared documents. Uh, like if it's occasionally sharing a document for collaboration, then yeah, just use the share function. But if it's ongoing involving in editing, um, then it's it's better, um, which is a separate podcast episode entirely about how you manage shared documents, but it's, um, it's better to have a user tracked history of relationship with various documents and stuff. Uh, it's also just convenient in a bunch of ways. Um, so user versus contact. A little subtle thing to be conscious of, however, is that it might be worthwhile to have someone exist within your system as both a user and a contact. Basic example of this is someone gets added to staff and then removed from staff. Let's say they do an apprenticeship and then choose not to go on to theological college and so on. After their apprenticeship, they return to just being a regular member of the church or ministry, uh, but not on staff, uh, and they might cease to have major volunteering responsibilities, um, it makes a lot of sense then for the contact to be the person who's on the general newsletter mailing lists for the church announcements, for their Outlook address or their Gmail address or their whatever address that they choose to use, their iCloud address, um, because um, you want them to have a continuity of contact with the church even when they stop being on staff or having a major role that requires a user account. See what I mean? Um, all right, so let's say you do need a user, and so you need to create someone as um, a user. A um, next important bit of advice is um, we recommend you don't create a user based on role, but you create a user based on person. What do I mean by that? You don't create a user called treasurer at church.com, but you instead create um, a permission level for treasurers and perhaps even a um, an email group or an email alias for treasurers, but that's separate from... And then a person gets added to that. So um, if I become treasurer, then um, I get a user, which is mikey at church.com, and then either I get added to a mailing list called treasurer at church.com and... Maybe I'm the only person who receives emails sent to that address, you know. And then I get given the permission level required access to the shared documents, uh, finances, which only treasurer, perhaps bookkeeper, perhaps a few others get access to. Um, uh, you can also just create what's called an alias where an individual's user can have a bunch of other email addresses that that just kind of basically are just... Uh, other doors into that one email address so that as you create the user Mikey, you could underneath that call uh, create several other email addresses 
uh, Mikey at church.com. Mikey is awesome at church.com. Mikey is the treasurer at church.com. Um, and all of the info at church.com and all of those could just be sent to Mikey. So that's another way you can do it um, as well. So there's a, there's a few ways that you can create um, create the role. Why separate it from the user? Uh, same kind of principle applies with Elvanto. Uh, the reason is accountability. That's the big reason. Um, that uh, although in the short term you might go, well, let's just have all the stuff related to that role, related to a a, a thing for that role and then when people leave that they can just hand it over the logins to the new person but the problem is there's no tracking of which individual did what when that accountability element you have to do detective work to figure that out um uh, and so i mean it's the same issue with bank accounts and things you don't just pass on net banking um logins to different people you get as a new person to get a new login to do their stuff so that if something gets done wrong or clumsily or whatever, you can go back and figure out who did it and why. Do you see what I mean? So there's an accountability issue there that's an important one. It might be a bit more fiddly, um, but it's uh, it's an important one uh, to bear in mind. Um, I'm just going to scan through our little... Um, we create little kind of guideline documents to because you know, any system has overly complicated training documents and videos so we simplify things a little and so i'm just going to scan through to see if there's any other things that need to be said um okay so you can set up your email user to forward on so if you get created as a user mikeatchurch.com but you don't have to log into a new email address then you can set it up to also forward to the email address you ordinarily use so that's good to bear in mind Sometimes email accounts can enable you to even, from within Gmail, send as if you're um, sending from the um, Office 365 email address. Sometimes you can do that, but that can be fiddly depending on various um, other kind of protocols and securities that different email providers set up. Um, I think they're the main things that need to be said. Um, Maybe one other thing that can be said is that... um, uh, there's also, in addition to, I said you could add like a treasurer mailing list, there's also a thing called a shared mailbox, which is uh, where different users share a mailbox for the purpose of board of management activities or parish council activities. And so they can all send from parish council at church.com um, uh, but still see who sent it, you know, so those behind the behind the scenes can go into that shared mailbox that just acts as if just it's just another in outlook it's just another one of your email accounts um but then you can see oh that was sent on behalf of parish council at but it was sent by sally so that's a shared mailbox is another one and any of these things if you need extra help on that just just contact um, new front door and we can talk you through that in a bit more detail Cool. All right. Well, let let me just move on then to talk briefly before we finish up um, about uh, groups, uh, distribution lists, groups, um, and shared mailboxes. So that's this, how you group people together within the system. Um, So there's shared mailbox I've just mentioned, um, and that's a bit of a standalone kind of feature really. Um, But then there's two types of groups. There's distribution list groups and there's Office 365 groups. So a distribution list group is just kind of like a mailing list. It's just everyone on that list gets sent emails from it, you know, um, and you can set those up so that people can um, 
only receive but can't reply. Um, so like an announcement email list, you only want people, official people, to email the whole church. So it's only a send out. It's kind of, you could say a hot, um, uh, it's a, um, uh, it's a, um, not a hotline, it's the opposite. It's a newsletter. It's a newsletter just going out. And so you set up the restrictions so that only official people can email out. Um, or the opposite is, um, is a hotline. A hotline is where anybody can email in. So let's say you want people to be able to email contact us at or elders at or staff at and anyone should be able to contact that list. Well, then you set that up so that the, um, the restrictions to that distribution list um, enable uh, anybody to be able to send to the list and it doesn't require moderation. Um, and then an in-between of that is um, you can create like a community uh thing so let's say you want a church community all the members in the community can email that list but you want to just have a a check to stop spammy kind of inappropriate things and again you can set that up so that someone has to first of all approve something sent to community at church.com before everyone receives it so you know there's a few options there that's distribution lists an office 365 group is another type of group and this is one where you're wanting to create something that also has access to sort of shared documents and even shared calendars and um, uh, shared um, uh, Microsoft Teams um, uh, video chat channel and all that kind of, you know, basically it's a, it's a group, a turbocharged group with all the other perks, all the other perks of being able to video each other and share documents with each other and, um, and these kinds of things. An Office 365 group, everybody in it has to have a user because it's, it's, it's that kind of group is a working together um, uh, within the system kind of purpose. So you only create that kind of group um, if you're wanting to relate it to... So, so elders, for example, um, will have an Office 365 group perhaps with all the documents that only elders should have access to in a shared drive and no one else, um, and might also have a little elders calendar or to-do lists stuff associated with that sort of thing. Um, so that's, uh, uh, that's, that's things that are really helpful, um, for an Office 365 group. So that's, that's probably plenty for today, but it is just helpful to have those things in mind. Um, and, uh, um, uh, and that kind of helps you, hopefully it just helps you get your head around those different kinds of systems and some of the best practices. This podcast was brought to you by New Front Door, the church IT guild. New Front Door exists to help churches and Christian ministries to use IT tools to support IT volunteers, to love people, and proclaim the gospel more deeply, efficiently, and effectively. For more information, visit newfrontdoor.org.